Hello folks, welcome to another episode of Nudge. On Nudge, I try to explain why some marketing works and why some marketing flops. We take a look at marketing through a consumer psychology and behavior science lens to discover tips that hopefully all of us can apply to our marketing. In today's episode, I'm lucky to speak to someone who is also fascinated by great marketing. Here he is. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. Hello, uh, my name is Harry Dry. I'm 25, nearly 26 years old from London, and I run a website called Marketing Examples. Even if you haven't heard of Harry before, you've probably stumbled upon his website, marketingexamples.com. It's packed with eye-opening examples of great marketing going back over 100 years. Harry's taken a look at hundreds of examples and summarized why they work. It's a really fantastic resource providing great information for us marketers. As of today, 90,000 marketers have signed up for his newsletter for weekly advice. So... To start off our discussion, I wanted to know what inspired Harry to start this website. Honestly, I was working in a, I used to be a web developer. I was working in a com- for a company in London called Crowdform and it wasn't awful, but I, I just wanted to start my own business. So I started writing articles um, in the evenings when I came home from work, I'd go for a run to refresh my mind because after work you're exhausted so I'd always have to get outside and then I try and write one article each night and I didn't know much about marketing at at the time so I didn't want to teach I would just pick an example from the real world which I thought was good and explain it and that's that was my route in because that meant that I didn't have to have any kind of any kind of prior knowledge I could simply just explain an example and then after three months I was at an event in London and I met someone called Tom who works for email octopus we got talking and he said that they'd sponsor the website I think it was 800 pounds a month which wasn't much but it it meant that I could go down to three days a week at my job as a web developer 
and I think I did quite. I got I got email octopus quite a few referrals in the first month. So we upped we upped it to one thousand five hundred a month. And then that on, on that day, I remember calling. It was work with work from home time, so I remember calling Leo and Ewan at Crowdform, who were who were brilliant, and just said, "Look, I'd like to hand in my notice." And that's that's two and a half years ago that all happened, and the rest is history. Over 100,000 people follow Harry's marketing examples on Twitter, where he shares heaps of popular marketing examples. And we'll actually cover some of the best examples he's shared later on the show. But before we do, I wanted to ask Harry about his own marketing. See, a while back, he decided to rebrand his own website and his own Twitter account from good marketing examples to Harry's marketing examples. He personalized his brand. And I asked him why. I guess it, you start with how many brands do you follow in on social? How many brands do you follow on Instagram to how many friends you follow on Instagram? How many brands do you follow on Instagram compared to Cristiano Ronaldo? You know, I think there's a great sales learn I once I once read, which was people buy from their friends. So the best thing you can do is go out and make a lot of friends. And and I think that if there's a little personal connection with with the person on um, on social media, whether it be Instagram, LinkedIn, Reddit, whatever, you're just more likely to interact with them because they're because they're real, and because they might reply back saying "Cheers, cheers, Dave, for for giving me that comment or whatnot." And I think that, I mean, I shared an example in my newsletter the other day of Ben Foster and Watford Football Club. Watford, I think, have been doing YouTube for ten years, and they've got about 170,000 subscribers. Ben Foster comes in last year, starts a YouTube account, and he's got. A million subscribers in in fourteen months. Um, that kind of says it all, I think. Ben can text his mates. Watford FC can't. It's cool to go on Ben's show. It's not really cool to go on Watford's show. And I think that's why this this trend's only going one way. And I think the best thing a company can do right now is um, turn their employees into superstars. HubSpot uh, the start of last year gave me a message saying they were interested in uh, buying the website. And I asked them why, like, why are you interested in this? And, and their answer made me think a bit. It was that it was they see the future of content being from individuals. So they see marketing examples being run by me. People resonate with that because I reply to all my emails. I get back to everybody, every article signed over and out, Harry Dry. And they know that's what people are buying into. Whereas if you're just a SaaS, if you're, sorry, if you're just an SEO content marketing machine, you're going to slowly be eroded by threads on Twitter, by real people on Instagram, by YouTubers. What Harry has identified here is something we all intuitively know. We prefer people over brands. It made me think of Paul Slovic's paper, um, which is called If I Look at the Mass, I Will Never Act. In it, he shares a study that looked at the amount of money people donated after seeing two messages. One message showed statistics for multiple people. It was a message like, food shortages in Malawi are affecting more than 3 million children. Now, the other message shared one person's story. It stated, Rokia, a seven-year-old girl from Malawi, is desperately poor and faces a threat of severe hunger or starvation. Now, conventional wisdom suggests that people would donate more when reading that three million children were suffering. But 
that wasn't the result. In fact, people donated almost two times more when reading about Rocky's story compared to those who were reading about three million people suffering. So there's clearly something about hearing one person's story that makes the story more engaging. But Paul Slovak found that this was the case not only when you compared one person's story to uh, three million children, but also when you compared one person's story to eight individual stories. He found that donations increased twofold when you share one story compared to when you share eight individual stories as well. And in a way, I think this explains Harry's point. People engage with other people. It got me thinking. Brands, in general, are relatively new when you think about the history of humans. Big brands and organisations, well, they've only been around for, say, 200 years. But humans have had thousands of years of cognitive development where we've learned to build an affinity with other people. Building an affinity with brands is really a completely new concept. And if you think about it, most brands from 100 years ago, well, they knew this. These brands were all named after people. Now, these are British examples, but I think they stand true. You've got Greggs, WH Smiths, Marks and Spencers, Selfridges, Harrods, Tate, Cadbury's, Aston Martin. These were all people. Why? Well, because we're built to trust, recall, and pay attention to people and not to brands. That's why Harry's approach works so well. While chatting, Harry and I also thought of a more recent personalised brand, Wordle, the simple puzzle that's gone viral. I asked Harry why he thinks Wordle is so popular. I think, honestly, there's, I think there's so many reasons why, why Wordle took off. I think I'll start with the fact that I think it started with incredibly pure intentions. And I think that enabled it there's a hell of a lot of other stuff that made it go viral, but I, I honestly believe if this was a website with the purpose of making money from the word go, it wouldn't have had the multiplier effects that it's ended up having. So I think I know the guy's story. I think more or less the guy called Josh Wardle, which seems quite funny because the thing's called Wordle. And I think he just made it for his girlfriend, I believe, because they like word games. I could begin this slightly wrong, but it's something like this. And when people hear that story, there's a pure website sitting on, it's not like a big thing by the app store with in-app purchases. I think that, I think that multiplies any kind of virality built into the app. Now let's talk about the virality in the, in, in the website. Okay. Firstly, it's easy. You can play it in five minutes. It's the rules are simple. It's easy to sum up. It's not, it, I would say it's, it's a good length of time, two minutes on the tube. Secondly, you're playing the game synchronously with the world which builds in an element of like today's score. So the, so the reason why it's not, I think it's totally different if the words, if you're, if you're on some kind of sequence where you start and the word's this, but you play when the word is the same for the whole world. So if there's a funny word, that's a moment in, in, in time for everybody on social media. Um, I think that's a big thing. I think the sharing mechanism is also a really big thing. You, you can copy and paste your score directly with the little tiles onto Twitter, onto WhatsApp, you can share it with your mother. Most games, when you share them, you, you'd copy a link. But on social media, people aren't really clicking links. So you're essentially taking the value from the, from the game directly. You're dropping it onto, onto social media. Why else? Why else is Wordle taking off? What do you think? 
Now, fortunately, I had a good example because I'd written about this in the latest Nudge newsletter. So here are my four reasons. The first is social proof. We can't help but follow the actions of others. So when scrolling through Twitter and seeing dozens, if not hundreds of tweets from others posting about the game, we feel an urge to join them. That's social proof. That's the first reason. The second reason is the IKEA effect. Now, we disproportionately value the things we create. When you click share on Wordle, it creates a block of emojis that show your unique attempt at completing the game, which makes us more likely to value that post and more likely to share it. So you've got social proof, you've got the IKEA effect, and then you have distinctiveness or the Von Resteroff effect. See, standing out improves recall, and 25 red, yellow, and green emoji blocks stand out when you're scrolling through your newsfeed. So distinctiveness makes us more likely to recall when people share Wordle as well. And then finally, you have scarcity. Now, obviously, in a world of abundance, a game that you can only play once a day will encourage us to keep coming back and build a habit around playing. Anyway, let's crack on with more marketing examples, and here's one of Harry's favourites. Bob-Bob Rickard is a restaurant in Soho, London. It's unique for one reason. It has a press for champagne button on every table. When you press this button, a waiter will come pretty much immediately to your table with a bottle or glass of champagne. It seems simple and obvious, and you'd probably get laughed at it if you suggested a latte button in Starbucks. Yet, Bob Bricard manages to sell more champagne than any other restaurant in London. I asked Harry why. This is one of my favourite examples I've, I've ever come across, and I got to credit Richard Shotton where I found it on his... I think Richard Shotton, by the way, is unbelievably good at what he does. I think he's unbelievably good. I think he's pound for pound, probably maybe the best I, I learned from. Um, why does it work so well? I think firstly, it's the power of removing friction. So instead of doing that to the waiter, hand up, can we have some champagne? Strip that away. But I think more than that, it's also a novelty. It's zigging when everybody zags. If there's a pressure champagne button, you want to press it. You want to press it. We're all kids, aren't we? We want to press it. You can't ever press the champagne button in no other restaurant around the world and sit there and eat your meal and not press it. That's sad. So they're just playing on this whole novelty that, which they've created. I think it's utterly genius. I really do. If I go to that restaurant, I would never, in, I would never order champagne in any other restaurant. But if I go to Bob, Bob Rickard, I'm pressing the button a couple of times. And if I'm on a date, I'll, she's pressing the button as well. You can't not press it. I think that it shows to me the like the power of creativity in marketing. I think that often we can get into like sucked into numbers and all that's important, but one little novel idea like that can make you a couple of million pounds, probably more for them over, over the course of their their lifetime. Um, and how do you come up with those ideas? I think the way, like, how do you come up with an idea like that? I think I think for me, it's it's an environment where people are happy to say the wrong thing. So if I'm in a job or if I'm talking to my brother, if I'm talking to my brother, we can mess around and come up with a load of shit ideas to come up with one good one. If I'm in a job where the, where the culture's like, you've got to be right, you're, no one's going to say that because it's just, you're going to get laughed at. You've got to go through nine or 10 bad ones to, to, get, to get the right one. And finally, brevity. Press for champagne. It's simple. Three words. 
Three words is the perfect number if you want somebody to do something, I think. The Bob Ricard example is a brilliant application of the make it easy part of the EAST framework, which is created by the Behavioural Insights team. Now, this is a really good framework if you're looking to apply behaviour science at work. So search for the EAST framework by BIT if you, if you want to get a look at that. But the idea is essentially that if you remove friction, you will encourage action. Now, renowned behaviour scientists and Nobel pre now, the renowned behaviour scientist and Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman says there are two ways you can think about behaviour change. He says you can push down on the accelerator, so essentially take an action, or you can remove the handbrake, so removing the need to take an action. And Kahneman says it is always better to do the latter. Removing friction always beats asking for action. Now, two researchers, Bergman and Rogers, tested this in a study where parents were asked to sign up for a texting service that sent fortnightly tips to parents with instructions and tips on how to get their child to revise. Now, the first message asked the parents to sign up. And when the parents received this message, only 1% of them did. So only 1% showed they wanted had an interest in learning about these tips. But the variant auto-enrolled parents so they were automatically enrolled into these messages. And then they got a follow-up text saying, message the word stop if you want to unenroll. And in this example, 93% of the parents stayed signed up. So removing friction really works. Harry's done that with his own examples, marketingexamples.com. Now, you don't need to read a textbook to get marketing inspiration. You can just load up his site and get inspiration that way. Another nudge he's experimented with on his site is social proof. I asked how he's used social proof recently to boost his email subscribers. Honestly, actually, that was, I think it's because I, so I got it up here. I wrote PS, 400 new people are joining this newsletter every day right now. That's honestly so awesome. Thank you for the support. I think that celebrating any kind of win or success you've got is just a massively underrated marketing play so if it's your birthday that you you can you can use that as a hook or a wedge if you've got a hundred thousand subscribers on twitter if you if you get your first dollar you make your first pound online that's a wedge for something like hey i made my first sale for this new product people love little success stories so let's say you reach you, you hit the most downloads in any episode ever like last episode of the nudge podcast most downloads we've ever got like thank you so much people want to come on the journey people want to be part of something successful so sometimes i feel like it's slightly bra braggadocious to say this but honestly if you're reading the newsletter and you think it's and and it's a bit of a vacuum but as soon as you say like 400 new people are joining this thing it's like oh damn this is actually as good as this is really good let me send it to a friend or um i think dave gerhardt's done this so well with his b2b community 100 people, we've got 100 B2B marketers now. A week later, there's now 200 B2B marketers, and then now it's 4,000. Come join 4,000 B2B marketers. It's just keep saying the number. Keep let, let people see it grow and grow and grow. Because you'll always be at the top of the mind when people are thinking about what, what community to be a part of. What Harry is describing here is known as dynamic social proof. Now, it's powerful because it allows smaller brands and creators who aren't the number one in their category to still benefit from social proof. Now, this dynamic social proof, this bias, was highlighted by Sparkman and Walton in their 2017 study. They showed restaurant diners a message which tried to convince people to pick a meat-free option. Now, the first message said, Recent research has shown that 30% 
of Americans make an effort to reduce their meat consumption. That means that 3 in 10 people eat less meat than they otherwise would. Now, on average, 30% of people should pick a meat-free option, but this message, this first message, actually put people off. After reading this message, only 17% of people who read it picked a meat-free choice at a restaurant. Now, that is due to negative social proof. That message was showcasing that very few people pick meat-free options, so people followed the crowd and didn't pick it. But Sparkman and Walton slightly changed the copy for another set of participants. This changed copy used dynamic social proof, and it now read, Recent research has showed that in the last five years, 30% of Americans have now started to make an effort to reduce their meat consumption. This means in recent years, 3 in 10 people have changed their behaviour and begun eating less meat. So instead of highlighting that most people don't eat meat, it highlights that more and more people are starting to pick meat-free options. After reading this, 34% of people chose a meat-free dish. A massive increase on the control. It's why saying 400 people subscribed to my newsletter yesterday is probably more effective than saying 80,000 people have signed up over the last two years. Now, to finish the discussion with Harry, I wanted to ask about specific marketing examples he's shared on his site. Now, usually on Nudge, I'll only play a recording of my guest and add my own audio after, just like I've done so far on this show. But I enjoyed this back and forth with Harry so much that I thought I would just let you listen to the conversation in full. Now, I should apologise because my audio quality for this conversation isn't great. Now, I wasn't expecting to share this conversation on the show, but it was really good. So I hope you enjoy it as well. So here it is. I start by asking Harry why footballer Jack Grealish wears his socks so low. Here's another one for you, Harry. Why does Grealish... What value does Jack Grealish get from wearing his socks so low? <laughs> well, I just saw this on Twitter and thought it was funny. I, I want the newsletter. This was a little tip I put in the newsletter, Jack Grealish's uh, ankle socks. Like I just wanted to put something funny in. I didn't want to always be so serious in the newsletter. But um, yeah, the real deal, Jack Grealish. I mean, if there is a lesson to it, I think that... He suckered me in. I mean, Jack Grealish, I was telling my friends at the World Cup that he's a generational talent. <laughs> and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's really manifested in playing for Manchester City. But yeah, you see the socks low, you know, he's got a touch of the Georgie Bests about him. You, 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 you believe in him. And um, uh, playmakers, because again, there's a huge bias against English players. You want a little Spanish playmaker. That's what it should be. And I think that with Grealish lowering his socks, he's separating himself from the pack, the pack of um, of traditional English right wingers. He said, "No, I'm not like them. I'm a bit different. I'm like a, I'm a Brazil. I guess I'm a little Brazilian. Whatever he's doing, uh, as as you said earlier, just do the opposite a lot of the time. Do the opposite. It's a it's an easy way of standing out. I think. And there's science behind that, right? Like. That is the Von Restorff effect. That is the idea that being different from the immediate surroundings around you works. So Richard Schotten, he did the mate, a seminal study on this where he showed 12 brands to people. All of the brands were from automotive, uh, all, all the brands were automotive brands. One of the brands was a fast food brand. He said, which brand do you remember? They were four times more likely to remember the fast food brand. These are brands that people would you know, remember anyway. And I think footballers 
if if you're a good footballer, finding something to differentiate you is really valuable. I think of Grealish, I think of Ronaldinho, I think of Akinfenwa, I think of Ben Foster, I think of even like the Ronaldo free kick taking, like all of these three. All, all, all Carlos, of the Marcus, Marcus yeah. Rashford with what yeah. he's done with the schools. Yeah. Um, differentiation in footballers. Come on, get, let's do three more. <laughs> I, yeah, three I, more. We, I think we could do a team. You've got Foster yeah. in goal, Roberto Carlos left back. Yeah. Centre backs. David it, Luiz. David Luiz. David Luiz, 100%. A great I love player, that. but differentiated and, and hey, got big things. I love David Luiz. He's yeah. the biggest fan. Um, yeah. Anyway, I mean, we, we could. Well, let's do it afterwards. So we could, we could go. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, here's some. Here's, why is Beans Means Heinz? Why do you like that one? Oh, geez. Beans Means Heinz. Oh, I wrote There Are No Rules. Scribble, fiddle, play. And I think I wrote that because when the, the copywriter who wrote Beans Means Heinz, the story goes that he was working for a couple of days, couldn't really come up with something. And then he wrote, he scribbled that and he wrote it with S's originally. Beans means with S's, Heinz. And then scribble, fiddle, play, play around. He changed the S's to Z's, Z, Z, Z. You got the rhyme that sticks in, it sticks in memory. And I think that so much of writing, which I've done so much writing, which I see that's good, is is just notepad out, cross out a letter, change 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 your letter, M- mess stuff up a little bit. I feel like make it yours. I read this on Richard Shotton's uh, a book Richard Shotton had had shared on Twitter. Make it yours. Why should you? You shouldn't write it like it should be written, because it's a cliche if you've seen it before. But if you can write something that's yours, beans means Heinz. That can be no other brand's name at all. It's not beans. Make you beans taste good or Baked beans, Heinz baked beans. It's just, it's make it yours, make it, make it different. Yeah, I'm blabbering a bit on this one, but maybe you got something. Not at all. Not at all. I'm so glad I asked because I thought you were going to come from a completely different angle. Because I thought, like, that makes total sense to me. You can, if you come up with something which nobody else can write, there's real, there's real benefit in that in terms of standing out. Um, I thought when you mentioned Shotton, he's done some studies on rhyming. And how rhymes are remembered more than anything else. So yeah, I like I've read that as well. I like it. He's brilliant. Got, um one of my favorites that I spotted was Hinge, the dating app that's designed to be deleted. Really oh. interesting. <laughs> Telling people like you're gonna delete this app. What's your thoughts on that one? Oh, this is brilliant. Okay, so firstly, how do you like if you're if you're a challenger brand? In a dating, dating. What's dating? Tinder and it's Cupid and it's Bumble and Hinge came along after those apps. Where's the gap? The gap is that people want real relationships, whereas Tinder doesn't really offer that. Bumble kind of does, but it doesn't go far enough. So Hinge is going all in on let's let's have a relationship that leads to marriage, that leads to you getting off these apps once and for all. There's another line: the pain is the pitch. I can't remember who who wrote it but it's brilliant. Hit it, the pain is the pitch. What's the pain? The pain is that you're back on the app after a shit date. Hinge, the pain is the pitch. We delete the app. And then purely from a rhetorical perspective, you've got alliteration, dating, app, designed, deleted, 3Ds. It rolls off the tongue. It's, 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 it's why they exist in one line. So really, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's short. It's short. Positioning is something that comes up again and again in copywriting examples. And one of like, there's a lot of find your niche and go deep on it. One of 
like one of mine that stood out was World's Strongest Gay. World's Strongest Gay. But I love World's Strongest Gay. I absolutely love it. This is a guy who is the fifth World's Strongest Man. Who cares about the fifth World's Strongest Man? But we all care about the World's Strongest Gay. He was on the, I saw him on the Joe Rogan show. So I think the line I came up with was narrow your scope till you're number one. Niche, niche, niche until you can say you're number one. Um, I think a good one I saw was there's a, there's a job recruitment platform recently, which is the number one, uh, yeah, the number one diversity recruitment platform. Number one for diversity recruitment, as opposed to a recruiting platform for all candidates. I feel like we see this all the time, email marketing for everybody. Like, why, this, that's MailChimp, that's ConvertKit, that already exists. What's your wedge? What's your reason? Like, why should I? So that could be um, email marketing, the number one email marketing solution for restaurants. Niche on restaurants and then grow out of that. It's conventional wisdom to think, let me sell to the most amount of people possible because that will get me the most sales. The actual way to convert people is to focus. I'm going to ask you one more, Harry. Actually, I'll ask you one more quickly. Uh, why did Patagonia tell people not to buy this jacket? Why did Patagonia tell people not to buy this jacket? I think that's, I think the line I wrote was something like, Zig when everybody's acts. So it's Black Friday. On Black Friday, everyone's saying spend more, buy more, consumerism, consumerism, consumerism. That gets old quickly if you've got 100 emails in your mailbox saying 50% off sale, 50% off sale. And then one says, don't buy this jacket. Which one are you going to open? the one which is the opposite to, to, to all the other 99. And I think more than that, it fits with their customer, with their mission. Their mission is about the environment. It's about not spending $100 on a swanky jacket because it's, it's Black Friday. It's about less clothes. It's about mending clothes. It's about, it's about saving the environment. It works, on, it works on two folds. And I think it deservedly is one of the best campaigns I've ever come across. Do you know the story of um, how potatoes became popular in Prussia? Something to do with the king wanted to fill me in. I got it somewhere, but let me yeah, know. You do know it. The king, they wanted to introduce it. Everyone thought potatoes taste absolutely crap. No one wanted to eat them. So the king, it was like reverse psychology. He harvested them in his royal grounds, put armoured guards around the potatoes to make sure people couldn't let come in and steal the potatoes made it look like he loved them he let a couple of people sneak into the grounds to steal the potato and take them back and figure out like what are they missing out on made this once abundance resource seem scarce and incredibly sort of royal and people fell in love with potatoes because of it and it's like the reverse psychology you could tell people eat potatoes not gonna mm. work tell people you can't have potatoes because they only belong to the king. Suddenly everyone wants it. It reminded me of the Patagonia. Don't That's, buy this jacket. That, yeah, I've got to stick that in, actually. I might get through and get that in a newsletter. I can, I can maybe I can yeah. segue that into the Nudge podcast. We'll see. <laughs> but no, that's, that is, that's good. I like that. The obvious thing to ask would be, what's your favourite copywriting example? But I'm not going to put you through that because there's 300 to choose from. That's probably impossible. But is there one that is currently top of your mind? Is there one that over the last week you've been referring back to a few times, you think, God, that's class? It's a good question, actually. I never got asked this before. I think in a way, I, I like the ones where you don't have to be clever to write them. I think that I'm not a brilliant copywriter. I'm really not. I'm just good at explaining it all. And I think that I can still be, I can still be very effective and not be a brilliant copywriter. I think there's a trend of like 
got to be clever you've got to be creative you've got to make it right you really don't i think that i think that some of the best stuff is so simple so the one i'm going to choose because i just scrolled past it <laughs> is going to be the vpn that just works from i think it's nord vpn and that line could be written by the founder of the company it could be written by someone about marketing it could be written by someone who reads my newsletter it could be written by me i could write that line i'm not a brilliant copywriter and I think it's so good because strip it back to the one thing your customers care about. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be fancy. What do the customers care about? If you're in the VPN market, what do you want? You just want more that works. Strip it back to the one thing your customers care about. They just want it to work. And I think it's such an innocuous line that probably wouldn't have, no one said, wow, when that got written. But I think it's so is a hell of a lot of, VPNs or whatever is, is is that a unit of VPN? I don't know, but it sells them a hell of a lot of products. One more, one more thought on that is I feel there's a trend of trying to trying to bury the lead, trying to be too clever. What's the best? Sometimes the best copy to sell sell a horse is horse for sale. Simplicity. Free beer is free beer. The VPN that works, that's all I need. You don't have to say, Laura VPN. The best VPN the world has ever seen. It's just like, no, just say it works. That's all. I, I'm not, I, the, sometimes the best thing you can do is make somebody drop something in. Like, we're all busy. We're all, people have got kids, people are parents. I'm play football, you know, we've got a lot on. I don't want some fancy stuff. I just want a VPN that works. Let me put it in my basket and pay you money for it. Don't stress me out. Okay, folks, that is all for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to know what you think about the slightly different style. So do come and let me know your feedback. I'm on Twitter. I'm at P underscore Agnew. That's P underscore A-G-N-E-W. So you can reach out to me on there or I'm on LinkedIn at Phil Agnew. You can contact me on either of those. Let me know what you think, have a chat and get in touch. Now, if you enjoyed listening to Harry, then you'll love Harry's content. His website, marketingexamples.com, is hands down the best place for marketing inspiration. So go there and sign up for his newsletter too. I've left a link to all of those things, plus Harry's social channels in the show notes. Now, I'll be back with another episode of Nudge in two weeks. So please subscribe to make sure you don't miss that. And if you fancy a bit more Nudge in the meantime, then go and sign up for the Nudge newsletter. Those who do get an extra Nudge tip every week and these tips explain things like why and how Huel use anchoring in their ads, the world's best movie tagline according to Behaviour Science, and the real secret behind Nike's success. I've left a link to the newsletter in the show notes so you can sign up there or you can go to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter. Okay everyone, thank you again for listening to this episode of Nudge. Nudge.